And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. <clears throat> well, today's February the 1st, 32nd day of the year. 333 days remain to the year's over with. And holidays and observances. National Unclaimed Property Day. That might be hidden funds, forgotten by many. Uh, basically, it's a financial treasure hunt. Optimus Day. National Texas Day. World Hajib Day. Oh, yeah, we really need that one. National Get Up Day. National Baked Alaska Day. National Serpent Day. National Freedom Day. The... Um, honoring the signing of the 13th Amendment to the Constitution, which abolished slavery in the, the U.S. It's an annual United States observance celebrate the nation's freedom and recognize the efforts of those that, uh, who fight to protect it. Not that anybody really cares about the veterans anymore. Decorating with Candy Day. Car Insurance Day. Federal Territory Day. National Dark Chocolate Day. Spunky Old Broads Day, Robinson Crusoe Day, Women's Heart Week, Solo Diners Eat Out Week, National Patient Recognition Week, American Heritage and Health Week, um, Birth Dates, Ronda Rousey, The Wrestler, Brandon Lee, Lisa Marie Presley, uh, Michael C. Hall, and Clark Gable. It's also National Black History Month, Canned Food Month, National Snack Food Month, National Children's Dental Health Month, Harley Quinn Month, National Embroidery Month, National Grapefruit Month, National Women Inventors Month, Great American Pie Month, National Vegan Cuisine Month, American Heart Month, National Cherry Month, National Bake for Family Fun Month. National Bird Feeding Month. Well, what happened now? National Hot Breakfast Month. National Library Lovers Month. Low Vision Awareness Month. National Fasting February. And North American Inclusion Month. That one uh, created by the uh, National Jewish Council for Disabilities. Uh, it's about five years old. It's a, a way to recognize the need for more opportunities for people with disabilities, including employment and education. All right. All that having been said, 1327, the teenage Edward III is crowned King of England. But the country's ruled by his mother, Queen Isabella, and her lover, Roger Mortimer. 1411, the first piece of thorn is signed in Thorn, or Drury, uh, monastic state of Teutonic Knights. Uh, Teutonic Knights were the German version of uh, the Knights Templar. 1662, the Chinese general Kaxinga seizes the island of Taiwan after a nine-month siege. 1713, the 
Kalabalika, or skirmish at Bender, results from the Ottoman Sultan's order that his uh, unwelcome guest, King Charles XII of Sweden, be seized. 1793, French Revolutionary Wars. France declares war on the UK and the Netherlands. 1796, the capital of Upper Canada is moved from Newark to York. 1814, Bayonne in the Philippines erupts. Killed about 1,200 people, the most devastating eruption of, the, of that particular volcano. Uh, 1835, slavery is abolished in Meridius. 1861, American Civil War. Texas succeeds from the United States and joins the Confederacy a week later, but it succeeded on this date. 1864, oh, I, I may not have said this is February 1st. Um, 1864, Second Selswig War. Prussian forces crossed the border into Selswig, uh, starting the war. 1865, President Lincoln signs the 13th Amendment to the United States Constitution. 1884, the first volume of the Oxford English Dictionary is published on this date. It was A to Ant. 1893, Thomas Edison finishes construction of the first motion picture studio, the Black Maria in West Orange, New Jersey. 1895, Fountain Valley, Pretoria, the oldest nature preserve in Africa, is proclaimed by uh, President Paul Kruger. 1896, La Boheme premieres in Turin at the uh, Tritro Raggio, uh, conducted by the uh, young Arturo Toscanini. 1897, Shenhan Bank, the oldest bank in South Korea, opens in Seoul. 1900, Great Britain, defeated by the Boers in key battles, names Lord, Rob Lord Roberts, commander of British forces in South Africa. 1908, Lisbon regicide, King Carlos I of Portugal and Infanta Luis Felipe are both shot dead in Lisbon. 1924, Russia, United Kingdom, relations are restored over six years after the Communist Revolution. 1942, World War II, Josef Trebovin, Reich's Commissar of German-occupied Norway, appoints Vidkun uh, Quisling, the Minister President of the National Government. 1942, and after that, those that... Uh, Favored, the Germans are called Quislings. 1942, World War II, U.S. Navy conducts Marshall's Gilbert Raids, first offensive action by the U.S. against Japanese forces in the Pacific Theater. Also, 1942, Voice of America, the official external radio and television service of the U.S. government, begins broadcasting with programs aimed at areas controlled by the Axis powers. 1942, Mao Zedong makes a speech on the Reform and learning, the party in literature, which puts into motion the Yan'an reification movement. 1946, Tragiv Lee of Norway is picked to be the first United Nations Secretary General. 1946, the Parliament of Hungary abolishes the monarchy um, after nine centuries and proclaims the Hungarian Republic. 1950, the first prototype of the MiG-17 makes its maiden flight. 1957, Northeast uh, Airlines Flight 823 crashes on uh, Rikers Island in New York City. Killed 20 people and injured 78 others. 
1964 black student staged the first of the Greensboro sit-ins at a lunch counter in Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh, in those days, blacks could not eat at the lunch counters because uh, most, a lot of the um, variety stores especially had uh, lunch counters. Uh, 1964, the Beatles had their first number one hit in the U.S. with I Want to Hold Your Hand. 1968, Vietnam War, execution of Viet Cong officer Nguyen Van Lien, the South Vietnamese National Police Chief Nguyen Ngoc Lon, is recorded on motion picture film, as well as in an iconic still photograph taken by Eddie Adams. 1968, Canada's three military services, the Royal Canadian Navy, the Canadian Army, and the Royal Canadian Armed Air Force are... Uh, Unified into the Canadian Forces. 1968, the New York Central Railroad and the Pennsylvania Railroad emerged to form uh, Penn Central Transportation. 1972, Kuala Lumpur becomes a city by a royal charter granted by the Yang Di Pertuan Agong of Malaysia. 1974, a uh, fire in a 25-story Joelma building in Sao Paulo, Brazil, kills 189 and injures 293. 1979, Iranian Ayatollah Rahola Khomeini returns to Tehran after nearly 15 years of exile. 1981, the underarm bowling incident of 1981 occurred when Traver Chappelle bowls underarm on the final delivery of a game between Australia and New Zealand at the Melbourne Cricket Ground. 1991, a runway collision between U.S. Air Flight 1493 and SkyWest Flight 5569 at Los Angeles International Airport results in the death of uh, 34 people and injuries to 30 others. 1992, the chief judicial magistrate of Vauxhall uh, Court declares Warren Anderson, ex-CEO of Union Carbide, a fugitive under Indian law for failing to appear at the Vauxhall disaster case. In 1996, the Communications Decency Act is passed by the U.S. Congress. Sometimes you think members of Congress were raised by maiden aunts, some of the things they come up with. 1998, Rear Admiral Lillian Fishburne becomes the first female African-American to be promoted to Rear Admiral. 2002, Daniel Pearl, American journalist and South Asia Bureau Chief of the Wall Street Journal, is kidnapped on the January 23rd, beheaded and mutilated by his captors on this date. 2003, Space Shuttle Columbia disintegrated during re-entry of mission STS-107 into the Earth's atmosphere, killed all seven astronauts on board. 2004, Hajj pilgrimage stampede. The stampede at the Hajj pilgrimage in Saudi Arabia, 251 people are trampled to death and 244 are injured. 2004, double suicide attack in Erbil on the offices of Iraqi Kurdish political parties by members of the Jamaat Tahid Wat Jihad. 2005, King Ganendra of Nepal carries out a coup d'etat to capture the democracy, becoming chairman of the Council of Ministers. 2007, the National Weather Service in the U.S. switches from the Fujita scale to the new enhanced Fujita scale to measure the intensity and strength of tornadoes. 2009, the first cabinet of Johanna Sigur Badotir is formed in Iceland, making her the country's first female prime minister and 
the world's first openly gay head of government. 2012, 74 people are killed, over 500 injured as a result of clashes between fans of Egyptian football teams, Al-Mazri and Al-Ahayi in the city of uh, Port Said. 2013, the Shard, the sixth tallest building in Europe, opens its viewing gallery to the public. Uh, 2021, a coup d'etat in Myanmar removes Aung San Suu Kyi from power and restores military rule. And in 2022, five-year-old Moroccan boy Rayan Arum falls into a, a 32-meter or 105-foot deep well in Igram village in uh, Tamarat commune. Chef uh, Sheon in province in Morocco dies four days later before rescue workers can get to him. <coughs> well, you know, there's a lot of things certainly going on. And we have been talking about um, mysterious places. There's a lot of places that have uh, have created a fascinating um, atmosphere for people. We've talked about lost tombs. Let's talk about one that everybody wishes they could find. The Fountain of Youth. Well, it's a, you know, a Spanish explorer who wanted fame and fortune. Became the target of a uh, vicious campaign of character assassination. The ancient Greeks believed in the restorative power of water. And the ancient Romans built baths and pools intended to rejuvenate the body and mind. And many religious groups have incorporated the waters of springs and fountains into their sacred rites. We talked about the uh, Lords, where the uh, supposedly the Virgin Mary uh, showed up and talked to a young girl and said, if you drink from this water, it'll heal your illnesses. Well, when European explorers came to the New World in the 15th century, they were looking for riches and new trade routes. Conquistador Ponce de Leon was uh, awarded a contract by the Spanish monarchy to search for, explore, and settle the islands of Bimini. And he is credited as the first known European to head an expedition to Florida. So how did he gain ever-resting notoriety as the obsessive seeker of the fountain of youth? That's the legendary spring that gives eternal life to whoever bathes in or drinks its water. Well, not long after he died in 1521 in Cuba, fabricated stories linking him with the Fountain of Youth began to surface. 1535, Gonzalo Fernandez de Oveda y Valdez de Leon's uh, political foe concocted a story. The explorer learned of a magic fountain with rejuvenating waters from native Indians and set off to find it. 1575, memoir was written by Hernando de Escalante Fontaneda, Spanish shipwreck survivor who lived with the Indians of Florida. And that further cemented de Leon's alleged quest. According to what he wrote, Juan Ponce de Leon, giving heed to the tale of the Indians of Cuba and the Santo Domingo, went to Florida in search of the River Jordan. Another name for the Fountain of Youth. Well, these accusations were intended to portray de Leon as vain and easily taken in. I mean, who else but a 
simple-minded buffoon would stumble upon and discover a new land, Florida, while seeking magical waters. Well, by the 19th century, that story was widely accepted as fact. Many believers neglected to consider that no document from the time, including letters written by and to Ponce de Leon and numerous contracts he signed with the Spanish monarchy to explore New World territories, ever mentioned such a fountain. Today, scholars dismiss Ponce de Leon's quest for the fountain of youth as just a fable. Of course, had he found it, he might still be with us. The stories he could tell. Well, there was a lot of historical mysteries that have fascinated people for centuries. One of the best known is about the lost Legion of Rome. Now, it was ancient Rome's expert fighting unit, the Ninth Legion. And it vanished in ancient Britain. No one ever found out what happened to it. (coughs) So what did happen to these veterans of countless military campaigns? It was nearly 19 centuries ago. Rome's elite Ninth Legion vanished somewhere in Britain's remote northern frontier. 5,000 of Rome's best-trained, best-armed warriors suddenly vanished, leaving behind not a trace of what happened to them. Roman General Pompey formed the Ninth Legion about uh, 65 B.C. And after fighting successful campaigns throughout the Roman Empire, the Legion was deployed to Britain to participate in the Roman invasion of 43 A.D. By this point in time, the Legion was one of the most hardened and feared fighting forces in the Imperial Roman Army. The Ninth further amassed victories in Britain, including the defeat of both Caraticus and Venetus, uh, British chieftains, resisting the Roman invasion. After suffering a devastating defeat at the hands of Boudica, the queen of the British uh, Celtic Iceni tribe in 68 AD, the Ninth was reinforced and resumed its winning ways. Crushed resistance by the Caledonians on the northern fringe of the empire in present-day Scotland. In 108, the celebrated legion helped rebuild a stone fortress at York. And that was its last recorded activity. So what happened to the Ninth? Was it disbanded to help swell the ranks of other units? Was it deployed somewhere else, maybe in the far reaches of the empire in the east? Well, the prevailing theory is the Ninth Legion was destroyed in a series of battles fought against tribal insurgents in the far northern frontiers of the Scottish Highlands. Having formed binding alliances, the once the disparate independent tribes gathered uh, sufficient manpower, equipment, supplies to decimate the Ninth. The fighting likely occurred then from about uh, 110 to 120 because Rome Emperor Hadrian visited Rome in 122 A.D., accompanied by a new legion, the 6th. Well, the loss of the elite Ninth Legion compelled the emperor to take uh, critical action. 122, Hadrian began construction of a fortified barrier known as Hadrian's Wall, keeping invaders out of Rome's northern territories in Britain. Well, the tragedy of the Ninth Legion is that soldiers are left exposed in remote lands, surrounded by Britons also eager to oust the Roman intruders at any cost. In retrospect, the highly heralded ace fighting force was also the most unfortunate of Roman legions. But there's never been a definitive answer as to what may have happened 
to 5,000 of Rome's finest. Well, from Roman mysteries in Britain, let's talk about the heirs to the throne of England who mysteriously vanished. They're known as the princes in the tower. It's a drama. It's gripped the public imagination for more than 500 years. <coughs> and it is referred to as the greatest of Britain's unsolved mysteries. Who killed the two princes in the tower? They're Edward V, who was 12, and his brother, Richard, Duke of York, who was 9. When their father, who was my ancestor, Edward IV, died on April 4, 1483, young Edward was to assume the throne. But their uncle, Richard, Duke of Gloucester, desired a throne for himself. Moving quickly, he assembled enough political support to declare the princes illegitimate, making the throne rightfully his. And then he put the two young brothers in the Tower of London. At the time, a royal residence and armory, and not the prison it was known as today. Now, not everybody's convinced the princes were illegitimate. Nonetheless, Richard III was crowned on June 26, 1483. By that point in time, the princes are no longer seen within the tower or playing outside. Rumors circulated, possibly of Richard enemies, that they'd been murdered. And one of these enemies, Henry Tudor, used talk of the boy's murder to fuel an armed rebellion against Richard. Uh, Henry defeated the king's forces at the Battle of Bosworth in August 1485. Richard himself was killed during the fighting, and Henry VII assumed the throne. So what did happen to the princes in the tower? 1674, workmen at the Tower of London dug up a box containing two small human skeletons. Believed to be the remnant, uh, the remains of the two princes, the bones were interred in Westminster Abbey. Um, 1933, an anatomist and a dental expert examined the bones, declared they belonged to children about the same age as the two boys would have been. Now, there's no DNA proof that the bones belonged to the princes, though I suspect, uh, since I'm descended from Edward IV, uh, DNA is available. Well, that's one of the fascinating things about doing family history. You find out so many Unbelievable things. Well, let's talk about the man in the iron mask. This 300-year-old mystery of maybe the world's most famous prisoner may well have been solved. Lahom Almask Deferre, the man in the iron mask, was the epithet given to a prisoner who arrived at the Bastille Fortress prison in Paris, September 18, 1698. The man whose face was kept masked arrived at the Benigne, the Ovenary de St. Mars, the prison's new warden. Uh, St. Mars brought the inmate from his previous position at uh, Pinero, a French-run prison in Turin, Italy, where the captive had been held for at least 18 years. The prisoner's name was never known, and so it was never recorded. Over the decades, the story took on the aura of legend, and more than 300 years later, the prisoner's identity still remains a mystery. On the day of this unnamed prisoner's death, November 19, 1703, his jailer, Lieutenant Etienne Ingenier, wrote in his journal, The unknown prisoner who has worn a black velvet mask since his arrival in 1698 has died. Well, the misconception the prisoner wore a mask of iron likely began with Voltaire's The Century of Louis XIV. 
That was a historical work published in 1751. Courted a book, a prisoner, an aristocrat, wore a riveted iron mask. And this inaccuracy was further promulgated by Alexandre Dumas' The Man in the Iron Mask in 1847 in the novel The Prisoner's the Twin Brother of French King Louis XIV. <coughs> Over the years, several candidates have been named as the elusive mystery man. Although far from confirmed, a current scholarship points the finger at the Eustace Dogger de Corvée, a valet for another inmate at uh, Pinerolo, Nicolas Fouquet. Fouquet was a former superintendent of finances, uh, jailed by Louis XIV for embezzlement. He was also an employee of Cardinal Mazarin, the chief minister of France during Louis XIV's childhood and youth. The cardinal amassed great wealth illegally, some of which he passed on to the king a crime that was probably uh, known to Daguerre in uh, conversation with uh, Fouquet. According to historian Paul Sonino, Daguerre probably divulged the cardinal's illicit deeds was jailed in order to silence him. According to Sonino, uh, Daguerre must have blabbed at the wrong time to the wrong person. He was informed when arrested that if he revealed his identity to anybody, he would immediately be killed. Well, somewhere on a mountaintop, there's an Eden in Western Asia that served as the inspiration for one of the 20th century's most popular novels. (coughs) James Hilton's adventure novel, Lost Horizon, was published in 1933. And explorers have been trying to find the lost city of Shangri-La, that mysterious lamasery uh, in Tibet, ever since. Now, a lamasery, for those that are not aware, is a monastery for lamas. Hilton's bestseller <coughs> introduced elite readers to Shangri-La, a magical, peaceful, snow-capped paradise that uh, filled readers with a sense of optimism and hopefulness. A place of fantasy. The 1937 film, based on Hilton's book, only increased people's uh, curiosity and desire to seek out that legendary kingdom. Hilton is said to have taken inspiration for Lost Horizon from the writings of American botanist Joseph Rock, who explored remote regions of Tibet from 1922 to 1935 in search of hidden cultures. Some researchers, though, suggest Hilton's vision of a highly spiritual place, a storehouse of humankind's collective wisdom, could be based on uh, long-held traditions in the Far East. Early Buddhist texts describe a place called Shambhala, mystical kingdom and source of ancient wisdom located at the base of a mountain in Asia, north of India, maybe in the Himalayas or in the Kunlun Mountains of western China. According to Victoria Page in Shambhala, the fascinating truth behind the myth of Shangri-La, rumors that its earthly haven date back to ancient Greco-Roman times. Researchers and explorers have launched numerous expeditions to find the real-life Shangri-La, or Shambhala, many people believe to exist. Uh, Russian philosopher Nicholas Rorick mounted two large expeditions in 1925 and 1934. And though he failed to find a real place, he was convinced it existed based on conversation with Tibetan lamas. 1938, a Nazi expedition led by Ernst Schaefer journeyed to Tibet to find evidence of an ancient master race. Other explorers have named various places as a real-life model for Hilton Shangri-La, but none have been formally recognized as the exact spot. 
Till that time, the dream and hope of an earthly paradise of serenity and wisdom will continue to live on. Now, this next one involved uh, Percy Fawcett, a British explorer who risked death to find a mystical city deep in the thick jungles in the Amazon River, the lost city of Z. Now, British explorer Percival Fawcett was no stranger to the jungles of South America. Between 1906 and 1924, he made seven expeditions to various archaeological uh, uncharted regions in Brazil and Bolivia. Sometime around 1914, Fawcett, largely encouraged by a mid-18th century Portuguese account of a large hidden ancient city without inhabitants in the Amazon River Basin, became convinced an ancient city did indeed line the Mato Grosso region in southwest Brazil. He called this lost metropolis the city of Z. Now, there was a, a uh, writing found in the archives of um, the Spanish conquistadors that talked about a Portuguese expedition that did find an ancient city. They came out on a cliff and saw in a valley this huge wall city. The gate was standing open. They went in. It looked like it had been raided. They found uh, the wall to the uh, treasury blown out. There were gold coins laying all over the ground. And they didn't find a single body. Well, the leader of the expedition sent two runners back with a written account of what they had discovered. The runners got back. The expedition did not. And that's the city that Fawcett was trying to find. After two failed expeditions to find Z in 1921, Fawcett attempted one final trip in April of 1925. On May 29th, after days of traveling through the jungle, his team set up at uh, camp at Dead Horse Camp. <coughs> now, if you've never been in the jungle, you cannot understand what a effort to go through the jungle in a straight line can be. For five months, Fawcett sent dispatches back to the civilized world with native guides, and then the dispatches stopped, and he and his party were never heard from again. Newspapers, of course, reported he was dead. Some people said he was living with natives in the jungle. Others claimed native Indians held him captive. Well, nearly 100 would-be rescuers died searching for Fawcett. But no trace of them was ever found. We'll probably never know his fate, but there's no doubt he was on the right track. Numerous ruins of jungle cities have been uncovered in present-day Mato Grasso, which is where Fawcett was heading. I will say, in the late 20s, a young man came stumbling out of the jungle. He was almost hit by a car. It was going down a jungle track. Uh, the young man was the friend of Fawcett's son who had gone with him. And he appeared to be out of his head with fever. He stumbled back into the jungle and disappeared. They never found him. Well, another legendary place of vast riches in northern South America's lured hundreds of treasure hunters to their deaths. 
It's known as El Dorado. In the 16th and 17th centuries, European explorers of the New World came to believe there was a city of extraordinary wealth hidden somewhere in the Amazonian rainforest. Spanish explorers learned of the legend of El Dorado, the so-called Golden Man, when they arrived in present-day Colombia and Peru in the early 16th century. According to legend, a tribe called the Musca conducted an inauguration ceremony at uh, Lake uh, Guadavita, near modern-day uh, Bogota. Naked body, the new king was covered with resin and gold dust. The man and four chiefs dressed in plumes, crowns, and bracelets of gold would get on a raft laden with gold and emeralds, and when the raft reached the center of the lake, the king and his cohort threw all their riches into the water as an offering to the gods. February 1541, an expedition of 200 Spanish explorers and 4,000 Indians, uh, guides and porters, went in search of El Dorado. By the following February, half the Spaniards and three-quarters of the natives had died from malnutrition and illness. The failed expedition in 1569 cost the lives of an estimated 1,700 Spaniards and Indians. 1595, English explorer Sir Walter Raleigh launched another search for El Dorado and found nothing. Drainage projects on the Lake Guadavita, the site of the Musca ceremony, continued until in 1965 the Colombian government put an end to any further efforts. There have been stories of wealth that has been found, but nothing has been confirmed. Now, there's been a lot of discussion about uh, a Welsh expedition that vanished. It's believed by many that a group of 12th century Welsh adventurers were the first Europeans to land in present-day America. There's a popular colonial legend that claims that Prince Madoc of Wales sailed to America in 1170 with about 100 men, women, and children to establish a colony. After finding abundant land, he went back to Wales to recruit more brave souls to return with him and settle the new frontier. At that point, Madoc vanished from the pages of history. As America was colonized, tales of Madoc were renewed. Colonists claimed the explorer... uh, Madoc left behind had intermarried with the Indian tribes. Settlers also reported numerous encounters with the explorer's descendants, well-speaking Indians who eventually settled in the Midwest or on the Great Plains. Now, no reliable evidence is available to substantiate the stories uh, has ever surfaced, though we're left to wonder if there was even some truth to the Madoc story. After all, historians are certain Vikings landed in Newfoundland about 1000 A.D., if they could reach the New World, why couldn't Madoc and his uh, band of intrepid uh, explorers? Well, let's talk about some uh, interesting artifacts that have been found. <coughs> you know, thousands of life-size terracotta statues have been found to protect a revered leader's tomb and ensure him safe passage to the afterlife. I'm talking about what became known as the Emperor's Guardians. In March 1974, peasants digging a well in Shaanxi province in northwest China made a shocking discovery that would ultimately prove to be one of the most significant archaeological finds of the 20th century. 
after unearthing pieces of a clay figure, the workers finally notified Chinese authorities, who sent government archaeologists to the site. The experts discovered not one clay figure, but thousands of life-size terracotta soldiers and horses hidden in pits beneath the ground for more than 2,000 years. <coughs> The pits lay about three-quarters of a mile from the tomb of Qin Shi Huang, the first emperor of China. And all four massive pits contained an estimated 8,000 terracotta figures, including officers, armored and unarmored infantrymen, archers, cavalrymen, chariot drivers, horses, and even chariots. Several horses made of bronze were also recovered. Amazingly, each warrior had distinct personal features, different facial expressions, different postures. Some figures had goatees, others full beards, some have top knots, others braided hair. Some wear battle armor, some wear loose blouses. They wear long or short trousers, short caps, or pillbox hats. Originally, each figure was painted in bright colors, which has since flaked off or faded over time. Emperor Quin Shi Huang had the extraordinary army built to accompany him on his journey to the afterlife and to protect his nearby mausoleum from enemy armies and grave robbers. Well, when 13-year-old Quin Shi Huang became ruler of the Quin tribe in 246 B.C., rival states within China battled each other for dominance. The bloody internal conflicts raged for over 200 years, but after defeating and absorbing several warring factions, Quin unified China. He established a powerful central government by building roads and waterways and fortifications and by standardizing weights and measures and writing and even currency systems. Shortly after he died in 210 B.C., the empire fell into disarray and eventually civil war. Rampaging forces set up on the pits, destroying many of the clay soldiers and stealing the real weapons with which the army was originally outfitted. Today, visitors can see the remaining assemblage of clay warriors at the Terracotta Army Museum built on the side of the pits. That's assuming that you have the nerve and audacity to go to China. Well, from the Terracotta Army, let's talk about the unremarkable slab of thick black stone that unlocked the secrets of the most enduring civilization ever known to mankind. I'm talking about the Rosetta Stone. It was July 1798. French military leader Napoleon Bonaparte launched a campaign to seize control of Egypt. After suffering defeats at the hands of the British forces, Napoleon instructed his army to strengthen fortifications. July 10, 1799, while French troops were reinforcing the defenses of Fort Julian in the port city of Rosetta in northeast Egypt, a soldier noticed a fragment of carved stone with inscriptions on one side lying in the rubble. Expedition scientists uh, determined the stone contained writings of three different scripts, hieroglyphics, demotic, a widely used Egyptian writing, and even Greek. Stone was sent to Cairo to be further studied by French experts. In the fall of 1801, the British defeated the French and took ownership of the slab and other artifacts as spoils of war. Well, the Rosetta Stone turned out to be a fragment of an Egyptian stone, or stella, a stone slab containing governmental or religious text. It's made of granodiorite, an igneous rock, measures 46 inches high and 30 inches wide, and 12 inches deep. 
buff to a high polish. It uh, weighs about three quarters of a ton. Stone held the key to unraveling the mysteries of Egyptian hieroglyphics because it repeats the same text in all three languages. When scholars translated the familiar languages of Greek and Demotic, they could be one step closer to deciphering hieroglyphics, the symbols that had baffled archaeologists for centuries. Scholars soon found themselves in a heated competition to translate the inscriptions. In 1802, British clergyman and intellectual Stephen Weston translated the Greek inscription. That same year, French linguist Antoine Isaac Sylvester de Sasse and Swedish Orientalist John David Akabad interpreted the demonic writing. The text was a decree honoring the new king, Ptolemy, in 196 B.C. 1814, British scientist Thomas Young made important breakthroughs on the hieroglyphics, but uh, still really hadn't solved the riddle. Finally, in 1822, French linguist Jean-Francois Champollion uh, cracked the code, showing the hieroglyphics wasn't simply picture writing, but instead a phonetic and ideographic language, like most languages. With the code decrypted, thousands of inscriptions on tombs and temples and remnants and monuments and papyri could be uh, deciphered, revealing many of the ancient Egyptians' hidden secrets to the world. Well, from the Rosetta Stone, let's talk about the Queen Pharaoh. Symbolic artifacts belonging to Egyptians' uh, controversial female pharaoh surface at a Canadian university. February 2012, researcher Luther Souza was sorting through the University of Winnipeg's uh, Hetherington collection of ancient Egyptian artifacts, and he noticed two unusual wooden objects, a tiny 12-inch hoe and a set of miniature rockers. Upon closer inspection, he found hieroglyphics on the object, spelled out the name uh, Maad Kari, the throne name of Queen uh, Hepshepsut, Egypt's pharaoh, who ruled from 1479 to 1458 B.C. Objects had been first discovered at Hatshepsut's uh, funerary temple at uh, Deir el-Bari, about 400 miles uh, south of Cairo in the 1880s. Hatshepsut was a daring, controversial figure, described as both an effective ruler and a scheming, power-hungry politician. She initiated massive building projects, erecting roadways and temples, including her own at Deir el-Bari, with pools and gardens and scores of statues of the female pharaoh. Historians note the Queen Pharaoh also brought peace and prosperity to her kingdom. When her tomb was discovered in 1927, archaeologists found the statues that a ruler smashed to bits. It's thought the culprit may have been Tutmosis III, her rival for the throne, who tried to wipe her memory and name from history. Didn't quite manage to do it, though. Well, let's talk about another unsolved mystery. The Nazca Lines. <coughs> They're found in a remote desert in South America, and they have the most striking and puzzling geoglyphs in the New World. Etched into the desert floor between Ingenio and Nazca River valleys in southern Peru are hundreds of gigantic straight lines, geometric shapes, and figures of trees and flowers and animals. The inscriptions stretch for about 37 miles and cover an area of about 200 square miles, called the Nazca Lines for the Nazca people who inhabited that area about... uh, 1,500 to 2,000 years ago, the markings can only be discerned from the air, which calls into question 
the belief that primitive people were too simple to have flight. The Nazca's made the lines by scraping away the rocks that cover the desert surface to reveal the whitish gray soil of sand, clay, and calcite underneath. Because the desert there receives less than half an inch of rainfall annually and the climate's nearly windless, the enormous geoglyphs remain unscathed by the ravages of time and erosion. Now, numerous theories have been suggested to explain the purpose of the Nazca lines. Many researchers believe the lines were constructed for religious or ritual purposes, maybe as a means of communicating to the Nazca spirits in the sky. Some claim the figures represent constellations or serve as a type of astronomical observatory, which is the fallback position whenever you don't know what you're talking about. To date, the meaning of the um, inscriptions remains unknown. Then we have the tomb of the Lord of Saipan, an undisturbed burial place of a prominent godlike leader who yields unimaginable riches from ancient Peru. 1987, Peruvian archaeologist Walter Alva discovered an extraordinary treasure trove of pristine tombs in Huacarajara, Saipan, Peru. The tombs are left by the Mochi culture, which flourished in that region from about 100 to 800 A.D. The most magnificent tomb belonged to the Lord of Saipan, El Senor de Saipan, a warrior priest whose mummy was adorned with ornaments of gold, silver, copper, and some of precious stones. He held a golden scepter in his hand and wore copper sandals. And guarding the Lord's sarcophagus was the skeleton of a man in a seated position wearing a helmet and holding a shield. Archaeologists have called him the Guardian. His feet had been amputated, so he could never abandon his post. 600 individuals were also found, three young women, two men, and a child. These were probably the wives, senior bodyguards, and child of the powerful, wealthy Lord of Saipan. A third tomb, filled with gold and treasure, contained the bodies of a man related to the Lord, a woman, and another guardian. In all, 14 tombs have been found at Saipan. The dazzling riches found at the site are permanently displayed at the Museo Tumbas Reales de Sapan in Lambayeque, Peru. Well, let's talk about an ancient naked man etched onto an English hillside that has awed people and offended people for centuries. He's called the Chalk Giant of Cerne Abbas. <clears throat> Carved under the chalk bedrock of a hill near the village of Cerny Abbas in southern England is an enormous naked figure. He's 180 feet tall, has a 120-foot knob club in his right hand with his left arm outstretched. This remarkable depiction of the male human form is known as the Cerny Abbas giant, or more jocularly, the rude man. First known written account of the giant appears in a letter written by local historian John Hutchins in 1751. He claimed the figure was probably cut into the hillside in the mid 17th century. Both Hutchins and 20th century British historian uh, Ronald uh, Hutton suggest servants of Lord Howley's, the landowner at the time, might have done the deed. Of course, there's no evidence to support that claim, just as like there's no evidence to support many archaeological claims. Researchers do know the figure is made by slicing away the turf on the hill to expose the white chalk underneath. 
Some people believe the giants, the Greek-Roman demigod Hercules, is often depicted naked carrying a club and an animal skin. Hercules cult, known as the, maybe the local Celtic tribe in Roman-controlled Britain in the 2nd century A.D., may have created a figure. Others suggest this early giant was a pagan symbol of fertility. 2008, ground penetration technology revealed a figure at one time held an animal skin in his left hand, which supports the Hercules theory and suggesting the figure was a depiction of a hunter. Combat ill effects of erosion and weathering, volunteers periodically excavate the existing chalk outline of the figure to greater depths and pour in new chalk. Well, let's go to, from England, let's go to Teotihuacan, a Mesoamerican metropolis that has yielded few clues about its once magnificent culture. Teotihuacan, the largest, most influential Mesoamerican city of pre-Columbian times, has uh, left ruins in its wake, but little is known about its inhabitants. It's located on a 7,500-foot-high plateau in central Mexico, about 25 miles northeast of Mexico City. It covers an area of about nine square miles. Two enormous pyramids and a large, uh, wide avenue dominate the site. Now, the origin of this metropolis are, for the most part, lost to history as is the identity of the people that built the city. Archaeologists estimate the city was established about 100 B.C., centuries before the arrival of the Aztecs to the region, while ongoing construction went on until about 250 A.D. Aztecs named the place Teotihuacan, which means place of those who have the road to the gods in their native Dautala uh, language. A road on the north-south axis named the Avenue of the Dead runs for more than two miles along its course was La Ciudadela, the Citadel, the royal residential complex, and includes the six-tiered Temple of Quetzalcoatl, decorated with carvings of the fire serpent and the feathered serpent, uh, Quetzalcoatl. About 200 victims of human sacrifice have been found at this temple. Drought brought the city's uh, descent to uh, an end um, Well, everyone forgot who built it with the final blow coming about 700 A.D. when the city was sacked and burned by invaders from the north. So, thus ended one of the ancient world's most glorious civilizations, whoever they might have been. There's never been a single clue as to who might have built it. Well, let's talk about a mystery in Ireland. A prehistoric megalithic carving in Europe that reveals little about its history. I'm talking about the Newgrange Passage Grave. The dwelling on the Boyne is a complex of various prehistoric monuments on a hill overlooking the River Boyne in County Meath and just slightly north of Dublin. The dwelling contains more than 35 passage graves. Tombs covered in a mound of earth or stone reached through a narrow passageway of stones. Finest of the tombs is Newgrange, built about 5,200 years ago. Many modern scholars believe the prehistoric builders of New Grange erected the monument not only as a burial place for the dead, but also as an astronomical calendar. Once again, the fallback position when you don't know what you're talking about. Every year around December 21st, the rays of the rising sun enter a narrow opening above the mound's entrance to light up the long passageway and illuminate the furthest point of the chamber. This occurrence, the winter solstice, marks the shortest day of the year. Well, let's go to Peru's Pisco Valley, 
where we have thousands of orderly man-made holes that run up a mountainside. 2014, Charles Stanish, an expert on Inca archaeology at the University of California in Los Angeles, got a call from a man in Pittsburgh asking what he thought of the strange series of ground pits in the Peru's Pisco Valley, commonly called the Band of Holes. Not aware of the site, though it was only 10 miles from a site he'd excavated in nearby Chincha Valley, uh, Stanish checked it out on Google Earth and saw satellite imagery of thousands of small artificial cavities running up the side of a mountain. So he organized a team to investigate this bizarre anomaly. 2015, Stanish and colleague Henry Tadalin uh, set out for Monte Sierpe, the mountain on which the depressions appeared. Quick survey revealed the holes are about 3 feet wide and 20 to 40 inches deep. Many of the holes were surrounded by small rocks on the surface. The appear a road of holes stretched for more than a mile. Aerial images taken by a drone revealed between 5,000 and 6,000 holes divided into groupings. Some had uh, diagonal rows of holes and others had regular perpendicular rows. One grouping was uh, hourglass shape. Timas had also found pottery dating to the 16th century Indian Incan occupation of the region. But Stanish wasn't the first to discover these unusual array. In 1933, a geographer, Robert Shippey, published an aerial photo of the band of holes in National Geographic. Other archaeologists surveyed the area, one claiming the holes were unused graves, and another suggesting the Incas used the holes for storage. But you have to ask yourself, though, why the Incas expended such great effort digging holes in the ground? What purpose did those holes serve? Stanish believes he has the answer. Montesiepe is about four miles from Tambo, Colorado, a large Incan administrative center. The holes appear on a road leading directly to Tambo, Colorado. The professor believes the holes are used to measure uh, produce, such as beans or squash, as tribute or taxes paid to the Incan state. Citizens would fill the holes with food stuff under the watch for eye of state accountants who recorded the amounts placed into the holes, which, in my humble opinion, is ridiculous. Well... Let's talk about some modern innovations that were foreshadowed by thousands of years. Centuries ago, intelligent, creative people developed engineering marvels and technological innovations that leave us wondering how they did it to this day. Some ancient technology was assigned to oblivion forever, lost. Other advances were reinvented hundreds, even thousands of years later. The world's first known size. Uh, Seismometer was invented in 132 A.D. by the Chinese astronomer Xing Hing. device was a large bronze vase-like vessel about six feet in diameter. Eight ornately crafted dragons were positioned on the outside of the vessel, each with a small bronze ball in its mouth. Dragons denoted compass directions. Eight bronze toads sat around the base of this seismometer. Mouse agape directly aligned with the dragons. When the instrument sensed incoming ground movement, one of the balls would drop from the dragon's mouth. The sign of the ball falling into the mouth of the toad indicated from which direction the earthquake was approaching. We've got the Antikythera mechanism. 1900, divers rediscovered a mysterious mechanical object while exploring the remains of an ancient shipwreck off the Greek island of Antikythera. Heavily encrusted metallic device, which dates back to the early 3rd century B.C., consisted of 30 bronze gear wheels covered with Greek inscriptions. Full function of the mechanism is yet to be determined. Many researchers believe the device was used to calculate the position of celestial bodies and predict solar and lunar eclipses. 
Artifact is kept at the National Archaeological Museum in Athens. And finally, we have the Lysurgis Cup, 1,600-year-old Roman glass depicting a scene featuring King Lysurgis of Thrace. Scientists are recently baffled by the way the chalice changes color depending on the direction from which it's lit. When lit from the front, the chalice appears jade green. Lit from behind, it's deep red. 1990, British researchers discovered the glass of the chalice contains tiny thin flecks of gold and silver. Effects of life on the light on the metallic uh, particles uh, produces the unusual color-changing property of the chalice. Today, scientists use the same technique to create uh, holograms made of uh, nanoparticles of silver used in uh, digital optical uh, devices. And on that note, we come to the end of today's show. We've got a few more messages we'll talk about tomorrow, but until then, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly great evening. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.